are the, ooh, there I am, are the, are the right ways of power. Um, it, it's a power that we don't often trust. Right? We don't trust the, 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 we don't trust often that if we bury a seed in the ground, it's going to bring forth fruit. Right? We don't trust often that you can let the wheat and the weeds grow up together. We don't trust that you lay down your life, let somebody else abuse you, forsake you, mock you, ridicule you, condemn you, and you get victory. But that's exactly as we have it in Jesus. And just as we we're singing that song, uh, I thought about, you know, the great, the great show of power, as Paul describes it in Colossians chapter number two, he says in verse number 13, he says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him. You've been made alive together with Christ. You've been forgiven all the trespasses. Uh, You've experienced the blotting out of the handwritten ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us. They've been taken out of the way. They were nailed to Jesus' cross. And then I love verse 15. And having spoiled the principalities and powers and spoiled this, that, that, that imagery, that war imagery. What happens whenever you go and you, you conquer a city? You spoil, plunder, it's goods. This is our reward. Having spoiled the principalities and powers and he made a show of them openly. He openly revealed their shamefulness, their inadequacy. triumphing over them in it. Uh, these, again, in Scripture, you have this right-handed kind of language with a very left-handed act. The left-handed act of Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, coming and like a sheep before his shearers is silent was silent himself. And so this morning, as we think about God being powerful for us, we have to remember he's not abandoned left-handed ways of power. And what that means is the way that you and I think that he should be acting, he doesn't always act that way. He doesn't come in with force as we would think. Let's go in with force. And so often what we find is while we sing the song that celebrates the one who's warring for us, we have to remember he chooses, he chooses way to, ways and schemes of war that are so, so unappealing to us, so unattractive to us. 
But the fact of the matter is, is he's the lion who acts like the lamb. And the beautiful thing about that is this. We've seen a lot of people display right-handed ways of power throughout our world today and throughout history. And let's just, let's just take stock of it. How many, how many of those kingdoms have lasted? How many of those kingdoms have endured? How many of those acts have actually produced lasting peace and prosperity and well-being and generosity and hospitality? How many? And so this morning, while we think about uh, this song, we think about our Lord, let's celebrate that he's committed to this way of wielding his power humbly, peaceably. And let's celebrate that, that, that through his wielding his power, left-handed means, you and I have been redeemed. He didn't give the silver and gold. He gave his own body. Uh, with that, will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you that Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I love how Revelation says it. They said, look, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then he looks up and he sees a lamb. A lamb-like lion. We thank you that Jesus is the lamb-like lion. We thank you that he is fighting for us, has fought the decisive battle for us. He did that on the cross and through the resurrection. We thank you that right now he is at your right hand. And Lord, what we would imagine ruling and reigning at your right hand to look like, we would imagine it with great shows of force, strength, as we imagine force and strength. But we know that as he rules and reigns at your right hand, he still is committed to ruling and reigning with another vision of power and authority. Uh, one in which he put on display whenever he said to his disciples, I'm going to wash your feet. Uh, so, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just, uh, well, first of all, I thank you for him. I ask you that, that you would be with us, that we would rightfully acknowledge that sometimes while we don't see him acting as powerfully as we would really appreciate but that we would acknowledge that his ways are above our ways. And his ways are done in truth and justice and wisdom. And might we celebrate that he is the one who is in authority today. And then, Lord, not only would we celebrate him acting in authority today, fighting for us today, but, Lord, might we also submit our way of living uh, to, to the way of Jesus. Lord, might we be humble. Might we esteem others better than ourselves. 
Might we be generous and patient? Might we be gracious? Might we be loving, Lord? God, I pray and I ask that you'd be with us today as we uh, look to your word. I pray that you would uh, speak your word to us. Uh, I pray that I would be a good mouthpiece of your message. Um, And then, Lord, I pray and I uh, think about us who are sitting here in peace today and those who are not in peace at this very moment. And I lift them up to you. And I pray that as we look for you to be present with us, that you would also be present with them. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. I've been, um, I've been trying to learn how to pray. Now, I know how to pray in a certain sense. So maybe I should say I've been trying to learn how to pray mo better, right? A little bit more faithfully, a little bit more diligently. And um, I came across a pastor out of Missouri who has a school of prayer. And, um, and he discovered, he started pastoring at 22 years old. And he discovered whenever he was 35 years old that he needed to learn how to pray. So I kind of feel like we are on a similar trajectory because <laughs> I was pretty young whenever I started pastoring. And, uh, and I've prayed a lot of prayers and I've spent a lot of time in prayer. But, uh, but, but whenever I uh, was listening to him, I thought that I've been feeling this a little bit myself. And so what, he, what helped him learn how to pray uh uh and now he's now he's 62 years old so he's been at it for a while but 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 what helped him initially and what he's continued faithfully doing is is he began relying on the prayers of others psalms is a prayer book that we have in scripture he he points out that whenever jesus's disciples came to jesus they said teach us to pray And then Jesus gave them an actual prayer to pray. Now, I know in in, in independent Baptist circles and in evangelical circles at large, we were all told, no, you don't pray the Lord's Prayer because because if you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're, you're violating what Jesus had just said. He said, don't use vain repetitions. Well, um, as much as I believe that Jesus really wants us not to use vain repetitions in our prayer. I think we were misguided whenever we believed that just using another's prayer would automatically equate to vain repetitions. Vain repetitions has nothing to do with us using the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Vain repetitions has everything to do with the way in which we pray. Now think about this. How many times have you come in on Sunday morning? And maybe not, maybe not recently because we have such an awesome, awesome uh, worship team who leads us so well. But, 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 but maybe way back sometime whenever you were at another church or maybe before uh, things uh, transformed at our church uh, musically, how many times did you show up 
and you find yourself mouthing the words to a song, but you are not in that moment singing them from your heart. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Even some of these songs that we now love, you can find yourself going, where am I at? I've just said these words. Who could stop the Lord Almighty? But, but where have I been at? Uh, I would submit to us that if we feel that we cannot pray the prayers of others that we have recorded in Scripture, we cannot pray the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray, we cannot pray Psalm 23 as our own prayer. I, I would submit to us that if we have some feeling that we are not being genuine in our prayer, then, then I would say, let's stop singing songs that other people wrote. You're here? After all, that wasn't a move in the spirit in your life. That was the move in the spirit in somebody else's life. <laughs> Do y'all see how that argument can be so silly? There's another point to this. Not only did Jesus teach them a prayer, but in Acts chapter number uh, two, at the end of, uh, at the conclusion of Acts chapter number two, there is an interesting uh, statement. It says in Acts chapter number two, down in verse number 41, it says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls and it said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread. And in King's English, and in a lot of translations, it says, and in prayers. But when you look to the Greek, there is a definite article before prayers. So it should not just be they continued praying, but they continued to in the prayers. In certain prayers, in prayers that they had learned. Maybe the disciples told them, just like they told them about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They said, hey, he also gave us a prayer to pray. And it goes like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Dot, dot, dot. I can say the rest of it. Don't, don't you think that I just forgot it, all right? Forgive us our trespasses. I'll prove it. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. <laughs> and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, as I have endeavored to participate in this, he gives a liturgy of prayer that he does every morning. And it takes about 15 minutes or more. <sighs> I know, right? You're like, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes? Like, sometimes have you ever found yourself and you're like, oh, you've just been praying and praying and praying. And you look up and two and a half minutes has passed, right? And you're going, what happened? It was only two and a half minutes. It felt like an eternity. And, um, and part of it 
is uh, th th there, are, there are different passages of scripture and, and different prayers that he offers in this liturgy. But then you come to this point in, in the Psalms where it just says, pray a psalm. And so you pray like the next sub subsequent psalm in, uh, you know, you could start out like correspond it with the date, right? And then just go all the way throughout the Psalms. I can't wait till I get to Psalm 119. I'm excited, right? <laughs> I'm excited for Psalm 119, baby. Like I'm going to be there, y'all. Like my phone's just going to be like, I'll check my phone afterwards and it will be like, are you alive, right? <laughs> it's been hours since we heard from you. But in this, I came across Psalm 15. And Psalm 15 struck me. Uh, David starts out with this question in Psalm 15. He said, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? These are not two questions. These are two ways of asking the same question. Who can come to your tabernacle, the place where, uh, in their concept, this is the place where God dwelt? Now, David would also say, there's nowhere that I can go to be outside of your presence. So we can't be so tight in it and think, oh, they thought that he was only there. They just believed he was manifestly there at his tabernacle, which would later be the temple, the holy hill there we would consider to be uh, whatever holy hill they set the the tabernacle on but ultimately it became their uh, zion jerusalem and david says that who, who can come and who can who can abide who can be in your presence god what i find very interesting about this is we know in the old testament they had a bunch of religious ritual acts that they would do at the tabernacle at the temple in the old testament they wouldn't just talk about you know present your body as a living sacrifice they would say present your firstborn spotless lamb as a sacrifice so they had religious ritual that happened there at the tabernacle and at the temple and David asked this question, who, 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 who's worthy, if you will, or who, who, who has the right to come and to dwell in your tabernacle, who, in your presence? Let's just talk about it that way. Who has the right to come and be in your presence? And, and, and what we find next really, really struck me. Because what we find next, David mentions nothing about those who bring the right sacrifice the correct amount of tithe, the, uh, the spotless lamb, the appropriate amount of grain or wine to be poured out and offered to God. No, what David goes on to say is the one who walks uprightly, the one who works righteousness, the one who speaks the truth in his heart. That means that there's no double-mindedness between them. 
The one who genuinely, what they say is genuine. They don't just, they're not superficial and fake in what they say. And then he goes on to verse number three. He, he, he unpacks this a little bit. So who, who would be somebody who walks uprightly, who works righteousness, who speaks the truth in the heart? Verse number three, he says, the one who backbiteth not with his tongue. Backbiteth, you can say gossip, slander. The one who talks about somebody behind their back. The person who doesn't do this. The person who doesn't take up a reproach against his neighbor. Verse number four says, uh, the, the, the people who are able to be in your presence are those who, who the, those, those flagrant sinners, the vile people in this world are despised or the old English contemned in his eyes. Like he doesn't go around and, 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 and celebrate their, their wickedness and their evil. It's the person who honors them that fear the Lord. The person who sweareth or, or makes a promise which might actually cost him something to his own hurt. He might make a promise and it cost him something and, and, and he does not change. He does not go back. He does not go, oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm sorry. This is costing me too much. In verse number five, he says, the person who does not put out their money to usury. If you don't know what this means, that means that this is somebody who doesn't lend money to somebody who needs money with like an exorbitant amount of interest or any interest. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was said that to your fellow countrymen, the Israelites, they could not, if somebody needed to have money, to borrow money, they, they could only do it without interest. The only people that they're allowed to lend money to with interest were, were people who are not Israelites. Now, I think Jesus would challenge that for us. So sometimes we, we want to go back to the Old Testament and be like, see, see, that makes sense. And Jesus would go, well, wait a minute. I, I'm the one who tells you to love your enemies. I'm the one who tells you to welcome the stranger. And so maybe we just don't make it about us. In their day, I think, well, let's just unpack this for a second. Who... Who is susceptible to being exploited when they need money in the time of crisis? Are they people with a lot of money in the first place? Uh, this week, found out that one of our air conditioners done come it, 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 it gave us it lived a good long life so y'all don't right don't shed no tears over it um, if y'all notice like the last couple sundays was a little bit warm uh two weeks ago i thought man this is kind of an anomaly last week i was like something's wrong <laughs> and so then uh so then we had ac uh repairmen come up and uh and the ac repair guy said we need to read it it's last rites and I gave him the holy water and he crossed and we. 
Um, here's the deal. We have, in the last four years, we've replaced two of our air conditioning units here at the church. This is the third AC unit to be replaced. And once it, it's replaced, then that means that all of our AC units are no longer from 1994, and they are from a current era. But it was, and I've told, my, I've told our trustees this, I was telling a fellow pastor this, I said, you know what, in moments like these, I, 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 I'm thankful because of your faithfulness, faithfulness of yours and, and other people before you and, and uh, in this church. Um, and because of like the wisdom of, uh, of the, the leaders who help oversee our finances, we can have an air conditioning unit go down and the sky did not fall. And we did not have to go, okay, well, how, how are we going to drum up the money? I did not have to send out an email this week to all of our members and say, hey, guess what? We had an AC go out. So if you have a little bit of extra spare change, could you throw it our way to help us get a new AC? Because what we ha have is we have um, reserve funds in our bank for emergencies like this. On top of that, because we knew that um, we've already replaced two ACs, we've already been planning and prepping and saying, hey, we know at some point we are going to have to replace this air conditioning unit. And so I celebrate God's provision through you and his wisdom that he's given to the leadership of this church to where we go, okay, AC units are going to go out and we can, we can have that money in reserve so that a situation like this does not become a major crisis. But who would that be? A, it could be a crisis, couldn't it? And so whenever they talk about not just lending money, they think about who, who needs to have money lent to them in an emergency situation. And so what, it's, what you got to think about is think about those like cash advance places. Predatory loans. Predatory loans. Predatory. Eh. Angie was going to get me for that one again. Last week in my prayer, I said, what did I say? Betty Cleaver? June Cleaver. She goes, she goes you're praying. You said something. She said, and I just opened my eyes. and She goes, that's not right. And I was like, well, glad you found it, you know. Um, but yes, predatory loans. So the one who does not... Lend money with interest, nor takes reward against the innocent. To, in, in, in Old English, uh, throughout the Old Testament, anytime you see this word reward, most often it is going to refer to a bribe. And what we find in the Old Testament um, in the great nation of Israel is that the judges were subject to being bribed. Actually, uh, the, the great uh, priest, Eli, his sons, we find that was, that, was the, that was the thing that did them in. Samuel had to go tell them, hey, because your sons are being unjust judges and they're taking bribes, this is what's going to happen. Here's what I think is very interesting about all this. Not a lot of religious jargon in there is, is there. 
and there is there. This is all just real life living with people's stuff. Sometimes I get I get like a little bit more straight um, reading if I read it in a modern translation. So, 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 so let's just hear it from another translation. It says, who may worship your sanctuary, Lord, who may enter your presence on your holy hill, those who lead, a blame, those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, and those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Did you have an opportunity to do this this last week? Did you think, if I engage in this, will I be worthy to abide in the presence of the Almighty? Or did you give it very little thought? Or before you knew it, you were fully vested. Tell me more. Let me tell you more. <laughs> Those who despise flagrant sinners. Those who honor the faithful followers of the Lord. Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest. Now, let me think about this for a second. I, I, some of y'all work in finance. Some of y'all do stuff like that. So uh, no, let's just not talk about that. Let's think about this in a very, what would this look like between John and I? John has told me recently that I'm not allowed to buy our lunch when we go out until I make more money than him, Aww. which is awesome. Because I don't think it's ever going to happen. So <laughs> I am very, you know. But, but here's the deal. What if John was buying my lunch, being generous towards me, only with the expectation of me? That I, maybe I can't repay him in kind with, you know, lavish meals of street tacos. Or bond me sandwiches. But what if he's expecting something out of me? What if in his heart there's this, this, this pressure that says, you know, next time he calls and I can't get to the phone, he goes, oh, I can't believe you couldn't get to the phone after all the meals that I bought him. Now, I only use John as an example here because I know that's not John's heart. And also, just in case it ever becomes your heart, cast it out. By the way, John and I have been getting lunch together every day for the last three months. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, you, you said it. I didn't say it. No. Um, but here's the deal. When we think about that, we can think about this technically or we can think about it 
in reality. And in reality, sometimes I do something for you and then I'm sore and I'm angry and I harbor bitterness or anger or resentment when you don't return the favor. And yeah, maybe I didn't give you that loan with a technical interest, but there was an interest. Do we follow? Do we track? And I'm not in the place to take bribes, right? I'm not in the place to where I'm presiding over a court and, and, and I, don't, I haven't met any of you who are judges in our, in our congregation, so I would, I would assume that you don't. But here's what I do know. I do know that I've been subject to one friend telling me their, their distresses with another friend. They're venting over what their other friend has done. I've been the person who's gone to another friend and said, listen to what so-and-so did to me. And I know this. I know this. I know in a, in a, in a, in a uh, uh, metaphorical way, I have presented bribes or I have you know, received bribes, if you will. Uh, somebody will tell me a story or I'll tell somebody else a story and guess what I do in that story? I prop it up to where I am such a victim. And I taint the story. So then guess what? Whenever they find out the other story, they'll be like, well, what I heard was. So do we check on that? What I want y'all to see is Quite, quite frankly, I am struck that in a day and in an era where the tabernacle and the temple uh, um, symbolized uh, God's presence and, and, and what happened at the tabernacle and the temple was all this religious ritual work was that David, under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the leadership and guidance of God, he says, hey, hey, who gets to come in here? And he doesn't mention the people who have the right types of sacrifices and, 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 and you know, who, who, who have uh, obeyed all the codified ways of the Lord. Paul, David begins to say those people who treat other people fairly, justly, equitably, they do it in their actions and they do it in their speech. And then I'm reminded about what Jesus said to his disciples. In John's gospel, Jesus was preparing his disciples not only for his, his imminent uh, crucifixion, death, and burial, but he was really preparing them for what happens after he was resurrected. Because what he knew is, I'm going to be raised again. I'm going to be back with you. But guess what? At that point, I'm going to ascend to my father. I'm going to depart. And when Mary comes to him in the garden and, and she tries to hold on to him, he says, uh, you, you, you can't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. He's not saying, I'm an apparition. I'm a ghost. Woo! You know, he's saying, like, I am going to leave you, Mary. Uh, you're glad that I'm here right now, but guess what? I know you are going to be very upset 
in about 40 days, because 40 days I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. So he's preparing his disciples even then, and they probably, like us sometimes, and like they've been in other times, were dullards to what was really being said here. But after he ascended, I believe these words became much more real to them. But Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that he may bring forth more fruit. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And then Jesus says these words, abide in me and I in you. Here's why, because the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, you cannot bear fruit except you abide in me. Verse number five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, then he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in my in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples at this point we should remember jesus has said i'm the vine you're the branches you need to abide in me you need to stay with me stay in my presence if you don't abide in me, you won't bear fruit. If you do abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Guess what glorifies my Father is when you bear much fruit. So how are you going to bear fruit? By abiding in Jesus. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. And, or, or, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding in him means abiding in his love. And we do that if we keep his commandments. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Then Jesus said, here's the commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. David asked, who is able, worthy, right to come into the presence of God and David's summation, we could say, is what Jesus said. Those who love others equally, justly, <coughs> equitably. And Jesus told us, told his original disciples, and we receive it today, that there's a day after my resurrection, after I come back, that I'm going, I'm going to the Father. In my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to prepare one of them for you. Don't be dismayed because when I go, I'm coming back. 
but I'm going to be gone, so how do you abide in my presence? And I think if you were going to ask some people that question, how would you abide in the presence of Jesus, we would get a bunch of religious ritual answers. I believe in spiritual disciplines. I believe in religious rituals. I believe in read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I believe in tithing. I believe in going beyond a tithe and offering. I believe in uh, congregating and communing and gathering for church. But I can promise you this. Jesus didn't say, you will abide in me if you go to church three times a week. And you give a tenth of all you earn. And and, And you can quote all the memory verses. Jesus said, you stay in me when you love one another. I submit to you this, that the reason why we come to church, the reason why we read our Bibles, the reason why we pray, and prayer is not about me getting, this is another big thing, prayer is not a big thing about me getting something from God. It's about me being formed into the person who looks like Jesus. But the reason why we do these things is so that we can love like he's loved us. So that we can go, Oh, I said that and I didn't mean it. That was some vain jangling that came off my lips. So that we can catch it whenever somebody goes, did you hear what so-and-so said? No, and I don't need to. So that we can catch it when we can go, do you want to know what so-and-so did to me? And we can go, no, I want to tell you so bad. So, through my prayer, I was reminded freshly about Psalm 15. And Psalm 15 struck me because instead of getting a bunch of religious ritual jargon, I got some real world practical uh, speak about how we live with one another, how we love one another. And that reminded me about what Jesus said when he was preparing his disciples for the time that he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus didn't give them a bunch of religious rituals to abide in him. And Jesus gave them some practical, real-life speech, which is summarized in this term love, but we know you unpack it a lot. But he said to love like he loved. My brothers and my sisters, as we go throughout this week, I have a hankering that you want to be in his presence. I know that we can be misled to think that it's only those times of prayer that we are in his presence. Or only those times when we're reading our Bible. 
or listening to worship music, that we are in his presence. But might I submit to you this, on the authority of scripture, you are in his presence when you are being hospitable. You are in his presence when you resist the urge to slander your friend because in the moment you're upset. You are in his presence whenever you resist the temptation to go, "Ah, why'd they invite them to that? And I didn't get invited. I mean, I invited them to my thing. We are in his presence when we walk uprightly with one another. And here's the deal. Jesus goes on to say, the great love that he's displayed is that he's laid down his life for us. So here's the deal. You and I will fail at abiding in his presence. But the good news is, is that he never fails. And he's made a promise to us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He has fully fulfilled the righteous requirement, not only to be in the presence of God himself, but to bring us into the presence of God. And so might we not try to work our way to be in his presence by doing all these things, but might we know that we are in his presence and therefore we live out and we're able and we're free to do these things. To love like he loved us. And with that I would say. Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer. Lord I love you. And I thank you for who you are. God I pray and I thank you for your word. Lord I pray and I ask this. I pray and I ask that you would help us. As we receive your word. That we would walk in your word. That we would live in your word. That we would live out your word. Lord I pray and I thank you. That your son is your living word. And that Jesus. Um. You know, he's the seed that's been sowed, if you will, Lord. And so, God, it's his life that we are looking to. It's his way that we are uh, seeking to uh, emulate. And, Lord, um, I pray this. I pray that you would help us, that we would be those people who would know that your son, Jesus, has fully, uh, he's fulfilled, he's fulfilled the righteousness and the blamelessness, as it were. And that frees us, Lord, so that we can be the people who don't need to do all the things that we would expect to to be doing, all the religiosities of this world, Lord, but we would be those people who could just love freely as we've been loved by you and as that's been revealed through your Son. Uh, Lord, I pray these things in Christ's name. This morning, I would just invite y'all just for the next couple minutes just to reflect on what we've said. Maybe talk to God about what God's talking to you about. And in just a few moments, Brother Mitch is going to begin singing. And as he does, um, if you are still praying, continue your prayers. But uh, once you're done, uh, join him in in singing as we uh, conclude this morning's service. God bless you.